1: we get tonight's podcast a live reaction podcast following the hawks game with kevin broom uh just work from our sponsors stateside vodka and their surfside hard iced teas hard lemonades hard half and Halves, hard peach teas they're really all good you can't go wrong and on a night where they lost by 30 points honestly you needed one two three ten of them also brought to you by bet online bet online is your number one source for all your betting needs get the latest odds lines and matchup reports for baseball boxing golf ufc tennis more everything you think of including nba games if you wanted to wager uh on behalf of your beloved wizards BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place all your wagers, including live betting in your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code Belief, B-L-E-A-V, for 50% off your welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, with that, let's get to our conversation with Kevin Broom. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to the Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Badernau. I've got Kevin Room of the So Wizards podcast joining me here tonight. Kevin uh, we just saw an absolute thriller, a barn burner. They almost beat one of the best teams in the NBA, the Milwaukee. B- oh uh, we're a night yeah. too late. Sorry. They played the Atlanta Hawks. Let's see what the final score was there. Oh, 136 to 108. Close. Uh almost the same as last night's performance. Hey, so
0: they they got the Wizards got a CBA point. They won the fourth quarter by one, <laughs> but um, they, they escaped with a CBA point. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah we'll take it. That's a moral victories kind of podcast. Everybody knows that both you and I are sort of the pinnacles of, of a, you know, open positivity and uh, optimism at all times here. But yes, yeah, uh, you know, I I was going to open with like, hey, look, this is a schedule loss. Like it, it really just it's tough on the back to back. You play the Hawks. They're a physical team with Giannis and Brooke and those guys. But when you're a two and 13 team, like everything is a schedule loss. So I, I don't even think I can say that with a straight face at this point.
0: Yeah, if it's on the schedule, it's probably going to be a loss. <laughs> right. Although, you know, Monday might be, So here's the thing, like, is it a schedule loss in the sense? I mean, kind of, it's tough to (laughs) play back to back. And obviously this is not a good team. Uh, And I I mean, so if we want to be positive, let's start on a relatively positive note. And that is like last night uh, against Milwaukee, I really thought the Wizards played just about as well as this roster could play. I mean, they got, they got their asses kicked, but still, um, you know, by Lopez and stuff. It's like everybody on the Bucks except for Giannis Lopez and, and Lillard had terrible games. Those guys sure. played great. And, you know, it was, it was really realistically about as good as they could possibly play. This is right. probably the, the, the reverse of that. They, they probably can't play much worse.
1: They just looked flat from the start to me. Like yeah. some of the passes that should be straightforward, like, unimpeachable everyone should make passes We're getting picked off guys were kind of throwing them lackadaisical and lofting them across half court and no one was coming to the ball. It just looked like stuff you see from a team that got in at three o'clock in the morning or whatever they said it was. And they were kind of going through the motions and they hung for a while. I actually was surprised. They kind of hung around for as long as they did. And then. I, honest to God, went to go get some Thanksgiving leftovers and came back to the TV. And I was like, holy shit, it's a 17-point game. Like, how did they do that so quickly? But uh, this team has the, like, unbelievable ability to just, like, totally give up out of nowhere, it seems like.
0: Yeah, it is it is amazing how quickly they can just let things just go. I, in fairness, <laughs> I was going to say in fairness to them and then say something really awful. Um, but I guess, in a sense, in fairness to, like, the wizards hanging close. I don't think that their effort was really all that much better in the first half. I don't think they played any better. I think it was just kind of like Atlanta. Got rolling uh, a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of Atlanta was lackadaisical as well. And mm-hmm. especially in that first half where they would get up, they would run up a lead and then the wizards would hit a few threes and sort of whittle it back. And then, you know, Quinn Snyder would be like, Hey, uh, remember you got to play some defense. And so in the third quarter, they, they, Locked in a little bit, and that was yeah. that was it. The Wizards just couldn't score.
1: Yeah, when a team like that wants to beat you, and you're the Wizards, especially on not fresh legs, you almost have no chance and unless you shot some like ungodly percentage. And they, I don't actually know. There's really no, there's no way that's going to happen. So no, <laughs> no. Have you just shifting gears here for a second? Uh, they lost Jordan Poole before the game even started. Have you ever heard of a player rolling an ankle so badly? like three minutes before the game that they can actually play that night. I, I can't remember yeah. that happening.
0: Um, I feel like that happened last season with Durant that he, mm-hmm. he injured himself in warmups and w- this is after his trade to Phoenix. Okay. So I, I have heard, seen that happen before. So
1: I, I've heard like tender ankle, you know, he's going to give it a go in the game and then ultimately he couldn't go somewhere. But the, I mean, I guess maybe they just said, like, look, second night of a back-to-back. We don't actually care about winning right now anyway. Like, why chance it? I was a little surprised that Kulabali cool came back in later at the end of this game here uh, when they had, like, the victory cigar unit in. It's, yeah. He looked flat to me, too. And with the knee thing even being a question, I, it's like I wouldn't have risked it personally.
0: Um, I I Well, I, I agree. I, I was a little surprised, too, because I thought that he wasn't going to come back based on him not being out there with. Like you said, the the, the defeat cigar. Yeah, exactly. um, The Hawks victory. I was, yeah, I was a little puzzled about what the point was Mm -hmm. of having him out there because he really wasn't doing anything. He was just kind of going through the motions to more cardio for jogging through. He had and he had played well in the first half. Yeah, you know. So he he
1: he did make the one bad read I've ever seen from him in his entire time on the Wizards, where they were like moving the ball around the perimeter. And he was actually calling for it because he had Trey Young on him. And I was excited to see him, like, recognize that he's got this incredible mismatch. And then he ended up back in the right corner and drove in. And rather than just shoot, like, a five-foot runner or something or a floater or anything or dive all the way to the hoop and try to, like, force a foul, he tried to dump it down to Gafford and it got stolen for, like, a pick-six layup. Yeah, And I was like, that's honestly, like, the first, like obvious mistake i think i've seen him make in terms of just like reading what to do and what the defense is giving him which says a lot that we've gotten this far
0: yeah i agree and i i felt that there were a few times maybe two or three in the game where he overpassed and that was definitely Mm -hmm. one of them but i agree that was like the first one that i can recall where it was like consequential
1: Mm -hmm. uh tonight especially felt like more pick six turnovers than I can remember a team having in a really long time. I think early in the third quarter or midway through the third quarter, they had like 15 turnovers to the Hawks, like two or three at that point. But it seemed like every time they turned the ball over, the Hawks scored. I, I actually don't have that in front of me. You know what the the percentage of, of turnovers they scored on was tonight, but it felt uh, like a
0: lot. Let me, let me pull it up here. Hold on. I've got, uh, got something here. Uh, let's see. Points. No, they don't have points off turnovers. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, I'll wait yeah, but the Wizards point. had 20, 20 turnovers, and and certainly the Hawks uh, capitalized on that. A lot yeah. of them, like I say, they were just really sloppy. The cross-court passes, the kind of obvious, like, yep. steal.
1: Especially with guys tough. like DeJounte Murray. Like, everyone plays in a game, and you know there are certain guys you don't even, like, attempt a close pass around. Like, teams don't do that around DeLon Wright anymore after he had, like, five steal games in a row, and it... Yeah. Uh, Dejounte's out there, and they're just like, "Here, let me loft this ball softly across the middle of the court with him in like an open lane." That was terrible.
0: So, one, I I loved Dejounte Murray. I when back when he got traded to the Hawks, I mm. actually wanted the Wizards to trade because I'm like, if you're going to go all in on this, you know, with Beal and and these guys, Dejounte Murray to me would have been like the perfect yeah. pairing. Agreed. Um, Dejounte Mur- Murray's spirit animal is Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yeah. He he play, downhill, he just reminds me downhill. so much of him. Yeah. And um he's he's averaged like a triple double per hundred possessions. Mm. He's been one of the few guys over like it's like each of the last two, three seasons, something like that. Yep. His last season at San Antonio, he was sensational. He um wasn't quite as good in Atlanta. I think there was you know, they were working on we weird out fit early. Sleep, yeah. yeah. They they seem to have Quinn Snyder being a better coach helps and they seem to have figured that out. And Murray, gee, he just goes hard and uh, he's long and just rangy and it's not like ideal shooter and that kind of stuff but he he makes a lot of plays i really like him
1: Good uh i would take three of him uh, granted he seems like a total weirdo and the more we hear him talk the less i like of him as a player but
0: uh, uh, i haven't heard i haven't heard him speak uh so <laughs> yeah
1: you're, you're better off he seems like a strange dude uh and like he's from Seattle and Paula Vankera is from Seattle. And he was chirping at him about a, like a pickup game and saying just like really like off the rails stuff. So I don't know. But anyway, I would happily take him on this roster because I think absolutely he's a dude you could build around and he'd be like an instant floor racer for a team. Also yeah. point of attack defense would be amazing to actually see again.
0: Yeah. Could you, I mean, could you imagine like a backcourt him like, right. Got cool. Dolly. Okay. And then fill in some other guys.
1: Yeah. Throw Denny and Gafford out there together and just, Good luck team, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, those Um, guys aren't amazing, but they're the best of the other guys that they have.
0: (laughs) He could go get some other players.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The, the, the Denny defense was tough tonight. I mean, I guess if he's sick and also uh, not much rest, I I think that kind of exacerbates the problem. So, you know what? I'll I'll give him a pass. Uh, The Kuzma passing. It was funny. Like he basically for like eight straight possessions, alternated, like spoon feeding a look to one of his teammates, like a, a drop down to Gafford for a wide open dunk to just like rolling the ball to the other team, uh, and letting them run out for a layup. I, I, like, I was so conflicted of like, okay, he just created like a really nice wide open look for a teammate. Oh, he just created a really nice wide open look for Dejounte Murray. And it yeah. just, it was a hard watch for like a five minute stretch there.
0: I mean, it feels like that's kind of the Kuzma experience in a lot yeah. of ways just, he's, you see him, I I've said this before you, you watch him play. There are times where he looks like he is the best player on the planet or among them, yeah. And then there are other times you're like, "What? Why? Why did you making? do that?" Yeah, too yeah. It, and it sometimes just, I think he just sort of gets a little like, you know, out over his skis. He it, yeah, he tries like, to make a play that's spectacular, and it's just not there.
1: I think that's like the literal, exact, perfect expression for him. It's just out over his skis. It's like this thing I can do. Eh, maybe I just got a little ahead of myself there. Like I I probably shouldn't have tried that. You push the envelope like a little too much, and yeah. it just it seems like whenever he messes up, it has like the most dire circumstances for the rest of the team. <laughs> like they're just, they're compounded by the other team always capitalizing on it too. And, and when you're the biggest guy on the court half the time, you know, cause he's basically the same height as Gafford and, yeah. and you're the point guard at the top of the key with the ball and you should get your picket, po- your, your pocket picked, pick picket pocket. That was a good one. Uh, my pocket yeah. picked by a six foot five guard, you know, it's just going to end poorly every time. And, and that's, it's, it's partly his fault, but it's also partly a product of the roster. The fact that like Tyus Jones is out there and just literally can't create an easy look for anyone else on the team, I, I think yeah. really limits them a lot too.
0: Tyus Jones is somebody I have. I mean, he obviously he re- reminds me a lot of my Monty, Monty Morris, yep. um, but he's somebody I, I like him. I think he's a good player. Mm-hmm. He's obviously not the right fit as a starting guard in yeah. Washington. Um, not if for any time of long-term he's, he's much he could be more the starting much, point guard for like Phoenix or something and be great, but. Yeah, he'd be fantastic or, but he needs, you know, he needs the weapons around him. Cause he's like that Monty Morris where they keep the ball moving system assist. You know, he, if you are running a pin down, um, and you need him to like dribble to one side and then spin back and hit the pass at just as the guy's coming off and coming open. Mm-hmm. He'll do that, and he'll deliver the ball right in the shooter's pocket, and all that yep. kind of stuff. He's very good at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for a guy to break down a defender and uh, tr- you know draw draw the no help, advantage then...
1: creation whatsoever, no, no,
0: then they don't really have anybody who does that. I mean, Kuzma, little Jordan, no, not Jordan Poole at all, yeah. even if he played. Um, <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, Kuzma's the best of the bunch, and that's literally the problem with the whole roster right there. If he's your best guy to do that, you have yeah. you have no shot
0: yeah i, I yeah I, and, you know we've talked about this before kuzma he's he's a good and useful player in the right place i think he's probably playing about the best he has in his career overall Agreed. Yeah. and um it's just he's way he's way overslotted for yeah. for what he does he should be really like your fourth fifth maybe sixth best player um on a good team and you know he's he's the best player on the team
1: if you put him on somewhere like Milwaukee, I I think that would make them like a title favorite. And if I'm them, I'd try to first round pick tomorrow to do something like that. But yeah, uh, it's here. It's, I don't know, maybe it's more fun for him to be this kind of dude. And, you know, talk about like, Oh, you know, me and Giannis were going at each other. Like, I don't know. There's maybe something to that. Uh, There's a lot of irrational confidence guys. So,
0: yeah. And I mean, I will say he's, he's gone up against guys. Like, I mean, he was really competitive with Julius Randall. Yep. He he definitely did compete, try to compete with Giannis. Yep. That didn't go well. Yep. <laughs> it's, as it as doesn't as go as well for anyone. One. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> a you know, a, it, you a know he idea. definitely he and Miles Bridges went at each other a bit. So, you
1: know. Yeah, it was a little disappointing to hear him talk about his best buddy Miles Bridges after that game, but that's okay. That's a yeah topic for another day. I guess when you go back with someone, it's tougher, but still. Yeah. Uh all right. So bad passing, talked about that. Cool ball. He again looked a little Flat to me, even for him. Like he was fine. This is clearly not going to be remembered as the Bilal kulabali Bali game, uh, and it's not going to be remembered for that for anyone. Uh, I saw a lot of Point Kuzma tweets and, and how terrible that experiment is. Uh, the Point yeah. Denny t- experiment is is over before it started. Like I just don't. But that was one of the comments we got on last show was that if the uh, you know the Wizards had Point Denny. They'd be competing for the eighth seed right now. And, and and maybe they'd be the eighth seed in their flight in the in-season tournament, but but not in the
0: actual uh, yeah. playoff eighth standings. Seat, eighth seed out of five, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I so there, there is, there's no way that the Wizards would be eighth if they'd been playing Abdi at point guard all season. As we've said, pointed out countless times, he does not have a functional left hand in terms of being able to attack his ball handling overall is um, he's, he's too slow and shaky with the ball when he's pressured Mm -hmm. and he, you know, he gets picked. He, if, if the wizards tried to start him by like the second or third game, he'd be getting full court pressure every time he'd probably be turning it over quite a bit. the, The offense would be wrecked before it even got started. And then they would have Kuzma coming back to bring the ball up. They would have, Lots of other, it just it's not going to work. You know, if he can, I I wouldn't say never. It's just oh, yeah, you can do it situationally. Realistically, yeah. well, situationally, like he can bring the ball up. Obviously, he can grab and go. Grab he's, and go
1: is is ideal for him and nothing more than that.
0: That's it. yeah. I he's not a point guard, and he's his again today. You saw like Atlanta really sat on the right hand. They mm-hmm. just forced him to his left, and he he it's couldn't much. There. He couldn't. He couldn't attack. He couldn't get shots. He couldn't really get to any kind of meaningful passes. He just and he couldn't get back over to his right hand. You know, what he needs is that play they ran for him last season where he comes off of screens uh, on the baseline, turns the corner and catches the pass going at a full run uh, going to his right. And, you know, when he comes up on the right hand side of the floor, he really does. He's handed in the only place he can go is to the sideline.
1: He ends up in the corner and then has to kick it back to somebody at the middle of the court. And then they start everything over again. Yeah. That's just tough.
0: It's just, and you know, I feel like overall he's had a pretty much, well, certainly the best season of his career so far. Um, Yeah.
1: I always, you know, I I have no complaints, honestly. Like I I really don't like he's been, it's just,
0: he's not a point guard and he's not really a playmaker. He's a secondary third tertiary maybe a fourth guy, but,
1: um, it's a useful player. It's just, it's just not a a reasonable expectation to think that it's like all the stuff you're seeing, like Kuzma do when he's a point guard, you'd see the same thing from Denny. Honestly, he's a worse ball handler and the, you know, the, the vision isn't any considerably better in my opinion. So it'd just be a lot of the same, like some really bad turnovers for
0: runouts. Yeah. Kuzma is a much more skilled, um, player overall. Yeah, he and, uh, even, you know, with the ball handling and stuff, I will say I was watching of course the Hawks broadcast and Dominique was, uh, he, he described, <laughs> so Bob Rathman, who's the play-by-play guy who I actually knew from his days at old dominion, he was Uncle. the uh, TV broadcaster for the old dominion uh, nice monarchs. Mm-hmm. And, um, anyway, uh, Rathman said, you know, that was a wild shot from, from Abdia on one of his drives. And, uh, dominique said that wasn't a shot <laughs> 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 he, he, but he, he didn't mean it like he, he meant it more like that was a, a just a heave it was sure. just a, a prayer there was no shot and then you know Abdiya drove again and threw up something and you know dominique's comment was he's he's just out of control yeah, when he gets to the lane he's, he's yeah, out of there, control
1: there was a lot of Wizards fans that were watching on League Pass and talking about just how brutal the commentary was uh, from, from the Hawks broadcast about the Wizards. And, and I think that's just going to be that's going to be the case all year. So, um,
0: it's funny because uh, not this last game against Milwaukee, but the previous one mm-hmm. when the Wizards um, got shellacked by Milwaukee and uh, Marcus Johnson was making a few comments. And I, I, my, I, my son, uh, Joe, we call him the king of shade because he. You know, you'll say, he'll say something and you'll not really hear it. And then suddenly you'll be like, wait, (laughs) (laughs) just buried me. Right. And uh, Marcus Johnson was making some of those kinds of shady comments. And my son, he just turns, he says, man, that guy is savage.
1: Yeah. When you tip your cap to somebody, it's like, okay, well, all right. Got us. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's hit the chat here a little bit. Uh, Never makes no sense. Said, uh, do we have a chance to set the loss record? I actually don't know what that is off the top of my head, but. Yes. So the,
0: <laughs> there's two ways of looking at uh like the 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 loss record. Mm-hmm. So one is it was uh, like the 2011-12 Charlotte Bobcats. They had the worst that was the the uh, lockout. lockout season. Yeah, yeah. And they percentage. had the worst winning percentage ever. Mm-hmm. They went 7 and 59 that season. Okay. And uh, the worst record I believe was the 973 Sixers? Sixers. Yeah. So I don't think the Wizards can can That'd be tough yeah. get there. I think that they're more like um, my prediction machine says they're about a twenty win team. Uh, so I think I, they the can probably you, get there.
1: This is going to sound really fucking stupid, and everybody's going to like roast me for this. I think, I think I would still take the over. I think they're going to get really close to it if if this team like cleans a little bit of stuff up and they're like plucky and fresh legged at the end of the year, and some of these other teams don't give a shit. Like the year that the Wizards made the playoffs with Westbrook, and they went like thirty and seven down the stretch, or whatever that crazy amount was. Like, yeah. I could see this team not doing something to that extreme, obviously, but like just catching a lot of teams on the second night of back to backs. Like they're at home a lot down the stretch, yeah. so uh, I I could see them like piling on a couple wins that maybe makes us nervous as far as tank perspective is going here, but. Uh, you know, they're they're obviously not competing for the playoffs or anything, no matter what happens the rest of the way.
0: I, I would not take the over. I think they're going to be bottom three for sure. Okay. I I think.
1: I mean, low 20s probably still gets you in that range, I would think.
0: Yeah. I just don't think they're going to get past 24 and a half.
1: Yeah, it'd be tough. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think like that's probably Vegas knows, you know what I mean? Like somehow if they get to that number, <laughs> shit,
0: how do they do this? It's unbelievable how accurate they, they're able to be you know where they set these lines
1: Biff going back in time with that uh that uh almanac anyway uh it never makes no sense says does cool have any shot long term of being a point guard i don't think so personally in the pure point guard sense but the same kind of thing of can you put him next to a denny kuzma have secondary tertiary creator kind of deal yeah i don't see why not i think he makes a lot of just like really smart, savvy plays for especially for a 19 year old. I think that'll only get better. The way like a prime Nick Batum moved the ball or a prime Iguadala moved the ball for a team. He like wasn't like a point guard, but it's like a really good you know mover of the ball for for people. I see that.
0: Yeah, I I don't really see a point guard, uh, but I I am perfectly willing to be wrong on that. I I thought of him, I evaluated him in the draft as a wing. I yeah, too. saw him when he came in. He seemed seems wing to me but mm-hmm. um, the wizards seem to think he can play guard yeah. which is probably a, a pretty good indicator and I will say in terms of like things like the basics the ball handling he does seem to have some court vision mm-hmm. um, I just I want to see him get more opportunities to, yeah, in sure. that they did run him a little bit you know after Abdia had a turn trying to trying to run point they did uh, have Koulibaly bring the ball up a few times and initiate the offense but I'd like to see them get him into some more like pick and roll type type of things or to run some of the kinds of sets that they'll run you know for for like Jordan Poole where it, yeah. like uh again the other night where he like throw, they they love to start offense with like that horn set and mm-hmm. you get um you know pass the ball into the to the big man and, and Poole was passing it to Gallinari and then you cut towards the ball or you cut away from the ball but if you cut towards it's just a simple handoff in which you can end up with a lot of times is an open three pool. Got some open threes. He missed, but, um, they were still open threes they are good. Yeah. I mean, it's a well-designed yeah, it's a play. Look, yeah. And then if they play out on you, then you take the hand off and you just take off and mm-hmm. you get to see cool ball, his explosion and going to the basket, driving to the basket with uh, maybe a half step advantage on his man. I think so. He's yeah. I mean, I think in terms of like the guys they have uh, who are more or less wings, And theoretically, point guards, I think he's got the best chance of becoming a point guard. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Give him the reps and find out. I mean, like, this is the time. And and even again, if he can only has to do it here and there, it, it still gives you more versatility if anybody can run those actions. Like, a lot of these coaching staff, some of the plays they put in, guys are like practicing one, two positions at most, and they're supposed to know where all their other teammates are supposed to be on it. But if you could let Kula Bali play any one of one through four in a different, um, you know, in a set that that'd be great. I mean, you have like a horns five thing and it's him and Gafford, like uh, Sam Hershey, who was in the chat here was asking me earlier about like why they never like throw lobs to people, especially in transition. It's like, cause they couldn't execute on basic passes tonight, let alone throw any kind of lobs, But, is like one of the few guys I trust to do it. He's made some like really decent touch passes so far. Mm-hmm. And, and those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things I, I don't really expect from a rookie, honestly. So, uh, you know, if you're used to throwing stuff to Weminyama, I think, um, you know, why not? well, it's basically the same to throw him to Gafford, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons they don't throw many lobs in transition is that you, you kind of need somebody to you get go there, get them. to be <laughs> right. in that spot and, you know, close enough where they can actually play have a chance of going to get it. I think you know they tried to do some more of that, I think, earlier in the season. The first few games, they were a little lob happy. Mm-hmm. I suspect they tried to dial it back a bit because a yeah. lot of them were ending up as turnovers because everybody wants that spectacular pass so that Gafford can get the dunk. But you, you have to have them open or be able to pass him open in a way.
1: Uh, Sam also asked how the young guys not get demoralized with all this losing. I want to save that one for Jihadi uh, and weigh in, Sam, so we'll get back to you on that one. Uh, Big J 52 asks, so when does a coach change his scheme to fit the understanding and ability of his players? Wes's stuff does not fit these guys cater to the scheme to what players excel at doing offense and defense. Uh, I don't think the scheme is the problem here necessarily. I think it's the execution and the skill set of the players that like you hear broadcasters say this because it's not a joke. Like, 85% of what every team is running is the exact same thing. It's who they run it for and when that really changes. And the terminology around it is, is even pretty similar for a lot of these teams. So the other worst teams in the league can execute on the same shit we're failing to execute on. I I think that's really more the issue here.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's scheme because they're not doing anything. Well, okay. How can I say this? They're not doing anything that's, that's like rare. you know, but they're running basic sets for, mm-hmm. for guys. Um and the system that they're running, those kinds of horns, the delay actions, the handoffs, yeah. the The a little Spain chicken roll every once in a while. Okay. Yeah, the Chicago's the all that kind of stuff is pretty standard stuff around the league. Most teams are running some a system mm-hmm. that's based on that. This isn't NBA teams you have a playbook of specials, right? Sideline out of bounds, baseline out of bounds last second buzzer beaters, those kinds of things. Like I'm, we're, we're talking offensive on defense. You have also some special specials as well, but teams don't really have playbooks in the sense of like the way they used to, where you have a zone offense and you sure. run this that kind of stuff. So what the, what most teams are running is system. And when the system is you your, every team is asking or is asking players to make decisions, but you're also um, empowering them to make mm-hmm. decisions. and, you're basically letting guys be players, and I don't think the Wizards get any more advantage by being more prescribed in their offense. <laughs> and they're already doing stuff that's like if you go through and you watch Jordan Poole's shots, for example, like from the last uh, last couple games, they're running on him off of stagger screens. They're you know running him. They're starting him on like the weak side baseline or they're starting him on the on in, in one corner and then they'll have a screen and then they'll have two more big setting screens for him mm-hmm. and then he you know pops out you throw him the ball and he's supposed to get the shot up or attack or something uh, you know the, but the whole point is to get him the ball in a little bit of space so that he can get a shot or make a play and doing it in a, in a way that's you know off ball where he's not having to create the entire play himself and that's kind not works. works at all like, yeah, not, honestly. I mean, it kind of works here and there but it's just yeah. it's tough and they're doing the same kinds of things for kispert they'll run uh you know they they run they love to run that from the i don't know what the play is called but they do it He's on the, the
1: right wing corner. and then circles around the, the baseline to the left corner yeah, it goes through
0: okay. the whole thing and they'll have three screens for him. jordan yeah. Poole like just laid somebody out on on one of them yeah.
1: which i actually, actually love seeing by the way is the only like Pick he's
0: connected on the whole season, I think. Yeah, I know, right? But uh, we we caught him. So th- they are doing stuff um, like that. That's, uh, but it's just, there's a limit to what you can do when the roster is this bereft of talent.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of those things, right? Like this is what sets you apart from the really good teams. Every one of those teams has two guys that just break down a play and and nobody can really contain the Wizards don't have one of those guys essentially and it's where what you talked about with Kuzma you're slotting to me he's like a third or fourth best player um, mm-hmm. but you're playing him as a one and, and he gets no advantage creation so then guys like him if he were the third or fourth best guy they'd be getting a lot more open looks and efficiency gets better and and all those other kind of things it it just has like a downstream effect for everyone on the team
0: yeah and then i will say one of the Pinch points, if you will, on running a system where you empower players to make decisions and then uh, make plays on their own is that you may have a pattern that's developing. Your pattern may be getting ready to produce something. Mm-hmm. But if Guzma sees something, or if Pool sees something, or if Omdia sees something, if a, a guy sees something and thinks they have an advantage, they're empowered to go get their shot, to yeah. to go make a play. Mm-hmm. And if they're wrong, Guess and, and then then the play breaks down and you don't score and the reality is is like that's a lot of what basketball talent is at this level is that ability to make decisions and the yeah, wizards can react to everything poor decision I mean, jordan pool is a colossally staggeringly bad decision maker uh
1: since we're gonna catch it strays it. on a
0: night where he didn't even
1: play <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, i thought he was a little better in the milwaukee game like yeah. a little bit better yeah. like like a little bit, um, just give me a little bit here, Kevin. I need to think that, okay. I need to be yeah. able to just get by on. We're, we're making incremental improvement, if small increments only.
0: Yeah, I would say a little better. I I think his the part of what you we might be seeing that makes us think he's a little better is them taking him off ball a little bit more mm-hmm. and um, you know running him off screens, getting him the ball in motion, that kind of thing which than, is what he needs
1: and and everyone talks about how, oh he was exclusively off the ball in golden <laughs> like that's not true like he would play next to draymond who's dribbling the ball up the court and then like a dribble handoff with draymond and he'd have a wide open look because draymond's leveling some guy on the screen like this uh we have to play pool on as a full-time you know he needs the ball in his hands more because that's what he did in golden state thing like that I, I don't think that's true The the on-ball usage here isn't isn't the issue like if you go look at Their percentages, I I would imagine they're probably pretty pretty close, but that's
0: just how it looks to me, at least. Yeah, I don't think that he's... Golden State really didn't have anybody who dominated the ball, which is kind of crazy Mm -hmm. to think. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, like Steph Curry, as great as he is, they don't really keep him on ball that much. He he certainly has... I'm sure he leads the team in touches. Mm -hmm. But you you see, like, that highlight from the other night where he... um, you know, drove into the basket when Benyama was there. And so he stops, hits the brakes, passes Knocks it out, out and immediately yeah. goes, sprints out to the three point line, relocates, hits a three. It's like, that's, that's kind of the warrior's system. You yeah. know, when Harden says he's the system, Steph is the system. Yeah. Okay. But, um, so yeah, th- so there's that, I don't think that that's really the answer. I mean, a big thing is that I think pool needs to figure out how to make better decisions with the ball. And the other thing too, is, you know, when he was in Golden State, a lot of his like plus efficiency came when he was on the floor with with Curry. Um, yeah. If you look at it, his like when he was on the floor with Curry, he got to the rim more. He shot higher percentages. He committed fewer turnovers. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Curry sat, he got to the rim less. his his average shot distance went up by almost two feet. and uh, his three point percentage didn't go down very much, but his two point percentage plummeted and he committed way more turnovers. He went from like three per hundred possessions to about five. And if you look, his overall numbers in Washington are kind of similar to what they looked like when he was on the floor without Curry. So
1: He's also creating less for other people too. And I think part of that in Golden State, you know that if you give the ball up, but you get open, you'll get the ball back. I feel like he's almost not willing to trust that that will happen here. And I don't know that I blame him to be honest with you, but, but also when you've got guys like Steph and clay that take so much attention away, it's really easy for him to now, okay, now I'm in single coverage and I can drive and kick to somebody else. If they collapse when you're the number one guy here and no one is, is, you know, leaving you wide open for stuff. Like it's just a different thing. Like he can't create, um, those disadvantages for people like Steph and Steph's gravity, Clay's gravity created mismatches for him to exploit. No one yeah. does that here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think also he wants this to be his team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he wants this though. The, my team thing is big with him. And I think the other thing is I m- mentioned this in writing a few weeks ago that, He's enamored with the spectacular in the sense of like he's like the driver, the the teen driver who thinks that being skilled means handling the car, Mm -hmm. maneuvering the car at a high rate of speed in the tight area. And that's a little bit, I think, a good description of, of Poole as a player is that he wants to make the spectacular play. He wants to hit the tough shot over the seven footer. You know, like when they play San Antonio, I fully expect him to attack and go straight at Wembenyama yeah. and try Let's to. Going kind to of get another three swatted in the tenth row again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, he wants to make the spectacular pass through traffic, even though it's got a low likelihood of success. But if it goes through, he, that's on ESPN tomorrow. You know.
1: Uh, That was Jihadi's thing last podcast too. He kept talking about how pool always has this flair for the dramatic and he wants to make like the, the big highly play and it's like, yeah, it's not going
0: to go on. Yeah. Now I I would love to see them convince him to just make the basic plays. Just look, if you're driving in that there's somebody on you, the corner, just throw the ball to the corner. You don't have to like loop back and throw it back to the weak side corner through all five defenders.
1: Right. Yeah. That would be a, a novel idea. Right. Yep. Uh, Ryan S asks, will we ever see a Bilal uh, game where he has 12 plus field goal attempts? Would Wes enable that? Uh, he should, in, in Ryan's opinion, Ryan, I agree with you. I think we should see a game where he has 25 attempts. I don't give a shit. Like every game he should get as many shots as they can realistically create, create for him. And, and also he can create, try to create for himself. So I, I want to see. Uh, Kevin, you've written about this extensively, right? Like the more usage for him, the better. And I think everyone yeah. wants to see that. And, and mm-hmm. I hope that that's what they're ramping up toward.
0: So um, <clears throat> the reason I'm chuckling is because I just pulled up the game log. And it's just funny that he asked about use 12 as the benchmark because mm-hmm. he has two games this season where he's taking 12 shots.
1: I like that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, but I, yeah, I've written about this. I've studied it. The, the about the cutoff for a future all-star as a teen mm-hmm. rookie is 15% usage. Koulibaly is like eight about right I think oh, okay. he's about thirteen. Okay, That's not bad. So he's not bad, but I do think that they should be. I think what they ought to do is think about what role do they want him. What do they see him being mm. next season, two years from now, three years from now? It's just start him on it. You know, it's sort of like what Seattle, Oklahoma City did with Kevin Durant. Yeah. Grant was terrible as a rookie. He really, oh, really yeah. sucked yeah. and they um, put him at the two and just let him learn through all of it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, LeBron as a rookie was impressive for a rookie, but he sure. was not an increase. He, he was only okay. Yeah, yeah, right. His efficiency blew. It was yeah. terrible. And, um, I, I think that the wizards would do well. Like if you see him as a, uh, Bali as a, you know, pick and roll guy, start running him in pick and roll, yep. you know? If what you see him is he's a three and D guy, well, okay. I I think he can do more than that, but if that's what you see for his future, I mean, go ahead and just put him in that role, I guess, but get him more looks.
1: Uh, Joe Swamps said, uh, do us a solid here and give us a couple likes to this video. I appreciate you, Joe. Always looking out for us. Yeah. If everybody can hit that little like button, that helps us be discoverable to other wizards fans. And we grow Mm -hmm. the little community, have a little more chats. It's, it's all great. Uh, Apologies if I'm saying this wrong. And Kazar Warrior asked if the Wizards found a genie, what would their three wishes for them to start winning be? Um, really, just asking what are the three things they would need to change to win? I, I love the way you asked that in the first place because anything that involves a genie with the Wizards is perfect for me. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't think there's anything they could do to want to win or do to win this year. I don't think that's in the cards for them or even something they want to do. But realistically, point of attack defense. Uh, add a generational superstar to create mismatches for everybody else, and, I don't know, trade for Giannis, trade two second-round <laughs> picks to get Giannis, and then maybe they could start winning this year.
0: Yeah. Uh, for this year, I don't think that the winning is anything realistic. I mean, I guess if uh, Denny suddenly started being able to use his left hand and, uh, you know, Pool started, uh, you know, channeled, actually started playing like Harden did that first year in, in Houston,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, maybe you get there. And you could figure out a way that they can actually execute the defense successfully. Um, you know, they're, again, they're not doing anything complex, but uh, they're, they're, they're not executing it very well. My um, guy, Blake, asked, can you
1: talk about why the Wizards defense is so bad? The points allowed is like second worst in the league and the differential is third worst. How much time you got, Blake? Because uh, yeah. I think we could do a whole, Thing I, I want to do a video breakdown of this at some point here. I'm just lazy and that takes takes some work, but point of attack defense is really bad. So guys are always blown by and now you've got everybody scrambling, but they don't seem particularly cohesive or locked in on how to actually rotate. So guys are haphazardly trying to help, but not really fully committing. And then you have Gafford kind of run out and just wildly swat at everything that gets shot up around him, which I kind of don't blame him for the amount of stuff that comes to him that probably shouldn't. And then nobody fills in behind Gafford. They give up a lot of uh, second chance points or a lot of kickouts. They're just pretty bad, much bad in every aspect of defense. And and I think that's really tough. Like you could be bad around the rim. If your perimeter defense is great or uh, certain teams like funnel everybody to the rim, because that's just what they they're willing to give up. Like, you can kind of pick and choose. You can't really prevent everything in the NBA unless you have like elite personnel who are all bought into your, you know, your scheme there, but they just don't seem to do any aspect particularly good on that end of floor. Kevin, that's, that's my take on things. I don't know how you see it.
0: Um, very similar. I think point of attack. I think you really nailed it with that. So the way most teams defend in the NBA is with force rule force rules. And yeah. the general principle that virtually every team has used is to force the ball to the sideline, mm-hmm. baseline, no middle kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, basically, the you hear back when I listened to the Wizards broadcast, you'd hear Drew Gidden every now and then talk about uh, you know letting somebody get middle. What he's talking mm-hmm. about is the force rules. And uh, Tyus Jones does a really poor job of playing, of forcing keeping guys out of the middle. He just just does a really poor job of controlling. Uh, penetration. Jordan Poole also does a very poor job. Um, Denny Obdia does not very good job with that. Really, nobody on the perimeter does a particularly good job. Uh Denny's solidly straight up, and I think
1: he he struggles more so against guards because he's not quick enough to force those guys there and then recover anywhere.
0: Yeah, he that's the thing. And it's tough because he's you know, six nine. He's he should be guarding guys like Julius Randle, frankly. Yep. And you've got him out there trying to chase around Jalen Brunson. It's exactly. I, that's a tough cover for him. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and that could be a big reason why, you know, his defensive impact over the last couple you know, last season and this season is down significantly from where it was, you know, two I seasons so. ago, his second season. So, yeah. um, I think that's a big part of it. Gafford also is not a particularly, he's, he's a decent rim protector, but he's, he can't cover for the breakdowns that are happening in front of him. Uh, Prime Will Chamberlain kind of couldn't do that. I mean,
1: Prime Will no, Chamberlain next to Hakeem Lajouan could not do
0: that like I think he could put Rudy Gobert on this on this roster and they would still be the worst defense in the league or pretty close to it um, yeah, because the point of attack defense is so bad. And then uh compound that with the rebounding is yeah. is so bad. And a lot of that is I mean the rebounding is a team thing it's not really like on one individual player, but you need guys going back to the glass to Mm -hmm. get the rebounds. And you know that I feel like when you, when shots go up, there's a lot of just turning and watching Mm -hmm. instead of like finding a body boxing out. And I guarantee you, I, I, if you've ever sat in on a, on a film session at the NBA level, I guarantee guarantee that these things are being pointed out to the players, that they're being talked about to the players, that there's probably some, some four-letter words going on in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the, it, the players ultimately have to take some pride in it and get their asses up on the boards and, and get the rebounds. That's really what it is. And the one of the problems is, is like tonight, early in the broadcast, you know, Dominique and and uh, Bob Rathbun were talking about this, you know, the Wizards are a really bad defensive rebounding team. And so this is a great opportunity. Get the ball up on the rim and go get it. Yep. And uh, that's that's kind of what the Hawks did. The Hawks ended up with the what seventeen offensive rebounds tonight. And so when teams see when they know that you've got a mark, you know when they know they've got a team that doesn't rebound, they're they're going to go a little extra uh, to get those rebounds and and do some more scoring.
1: I, I do think some amount of this is effort too. Uh, it's just the I've talked about this a couple of times, but the soft switching is really tough for me to watch sometimes. Like yeah if you've got um Gafford is guarding Capella and I don't know Tyus is on Trey young and they just immediately switch that without asking Tyus to try to fight over the screen like, you have no chance like you've basically given up that possession uh, cuz it's either yeah. Trey is going to cook Gafford and score or uh Capella is going to clean that up on the rim because nobody is ever going to like help out there at all? So it, it, you're just it, the play is kind of over before it began, and I, certain teams can do that. I really understand that. Like if if you're Toronto and you want to switch everything just immediately, cool. Yeah, that's why you built your team that way. You, yeah, you can't do that with this personnel.
0: Yeah, I I mean that one of the games where that really jumped out was when they played Dallas, mm-hmm. and you had you know the possession would start with Avdia on Luca, yeah. which is you know about the right matchup that yeah, you'd want, yeah. and then. Dallas would, would run some they would just have like have somebody run through the area and then they switch like, yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, it's at least make them set the screen before <laughs> yeah. you switch. Yeah. You know, yeah, especially if now is. with in the NBA where the, the ball screens, so many of them are not like real screens. They're yeah. they're uh, slipping, they're ghosting. I'm gonna
1: barely touch you and then just roll. Yeah.
0: Just make them make them do it. And then I, I think that was the game where I started to wonder. Like when Kula Bali came in, did they change the coverage? Because yeah, we, talked, wasn't we, we were texting about
1: this during because I thought the same thing. Like that was he was the only one that was like,
0: nope, fighting around this one. <laughs> like, and then like the couple of games later, there he is doing the soft switching too. So yeah, exactly. it's like, You know, I I don't know what the the answer there is, except um, I don't like it that much. Yeah, I would same. rather at least make them set the screen. Mm-hmm. That, that's the thing you
1: should do if you have mostly young, fresh legs. Like that would be your one advantage, especially if you trade some of these vets away. Like you're, you're not gonna like be able to have Gallinari fight around screens or something like that. Like you know, there, yeah. there's right. certain things you can't do there. But uh, when you have, I don't know, like Johnny Davis, Rollins, Amarui, and Koulibaly out there together, those four guys, let like let them fight around everything. I mean, yeah. that
0: yeah,
1: they're fast you know. enough maybe to recover too if they get they get hung up on somebody.
0: And then, you know, use some help because we, we, you know, we talked yeah. about like, why is the defense so bad? I mean, there's there's another reason um, that we sort of touched on, but this happens a lot. So the Wizards, like, for example, the way they play pick and roll is uh, they they bring over the weak side defender from the mm. wing, usually, to come over to the what's called the nail in the NBA. Yep. So you're familiar with middle this. Middle of the
1: free throw they, line for everybody. Yeah,
0: middle yeah. of the free throw line where they're... Might still be, but there used to be a nail in, <laughs> yep. in the court in that spot, at least in the anyway. Mm-hmm. And so you bring a help defender, and that help defender is basically supposed to turn the ball handler back to his man. Yep. So that way, the center, who's probably in drop, which because th- that's usually how they use Gafford, is mm-hmm. supposed to be able to get back to his man. The ball handler gets back on his man, and you've basically stalled and yeah. pick and roll. You make a reset and do something. So the, the Wizards get will have a. Nail defender. The guy gets to the spot, and then he just kind of stands there and doesn't really do anything. It's like, no, you, you have to actively defend. Yeah. It's it's not enough to just get to the spot.
1: I, I want to say it was the Philly game, and I feel like I was texting you about this too because I was very confused about what they were doing. They were trying to have Kuzma be like – I couldn't tell if he was like the help man just to deter the pass or he was supposed to double and not doing it. Like I, I really couldn't understand – what was happening It ended up just being him kind of caught in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I honestly just didn't know what they were supposed to, like I, without, this is the thing where like, I think NBA defense is actually like sneaky hard to evaluate. Cause you don't know what the guy's responsibility was there. Like now if we were in the film room and, and they were pointing out, Hey, you were supposed to do this. there, a little easier to tell, but sometimes it just like, I can't, it could have been anyone on the team's fuck up realistically. And, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know which one it does.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure which play exactly, but I know that there were a couple of plays where, uh, you know, Kuzma was in a in a position to like double Embiid and then mm-hmm. just kind of wandered back to his man, and then there was one where Abdiya was like right there, and then Embiid just turned, was like right in his face, and Abdiya just stood there, not noticing, and Embiid just laid it in, and it's like, yeah. come on, you you're there to make a play, or even if you're not. The play is still right in front of you. Make a play. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Do do something. And that's the thing. Kula Bali was doing was he would just honestly I think he was breaking the the defense a little bit sometimes to just go. You know what? I can steal this ball or I can weak side block this. And and that's the thing. You can you can be a little bit more creative when you have a few of those guys that are are plus athletes. And and that was the thing that I thought they would change with Tommy Shepard because that's what he kept saying. And then you looked at all the guys he drafted and none of them were ever going to come in and be plus plus defenders. Like, I know everyone says this is revisionist history, but nobody was drafting Denny Avdia for his defense. Like that's just, it's, it's been a nice icing on the cake that he's turned into a, one of the better defenders on the team the last several years. Uh, But, but that's not what you were bringing him in for. Like he was not, you know, you weren't drafting him to be DeAndre Hunter or somebody that looked like an elite defensive prospect coming out of um, Virginia. And honestly, his defense has been kind of meh. So like,
0: yeah. I don't know. I will say uh one thing I just want to emphasize I mean we've been rough on Denny a bit today mm, I'm I'm really actually like the season that he's having it's been great I have I, like no complaints about him I think he's he's actually having a, a solid season yeah. he's he's a good solid player and I think that he's got a role on a good team mm-hmm. it's just he's he's not a point guard he's he's should be in that like 12 to 15% usage. He should be a kind of Jack of all trades defender. Definitely grab and go, mm-hmm. um, make some plays coming, you know, going to his right, that kind of thing, uh, shoot open shots and otherwise just keep the ball moving. You know, uh, I think he's good with those things and, uh, he's feisty. He's competitive. I like all those things about him. It's just, he's limited and the wizards are putting him by the nature of their team, they're putting him into positions where his limitations are getting exposed.
1: Yeah. Guys like he and Kuzma are miscast. I mean, that's just what it turns into and that's going to happen in a rebuild and you're going to see them do some things that they're honestly just not capable of doing. And that, that's okay to find out now too. Like I actually don't mind them doing some point Denny, Denny stuff. You just saying that that's the reason they're not winning is crazy. Uh, it's just, it's cool to try. I, I don't really have any problem with them trying anything this season. So
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's not they're not losing because they're trying stuff. I think they're trying stuff like Point any because, because they're, they're losing, losing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you might as well see. And then you know if he learns something and goes does the does the workshopping and comes back more skilled, yeah. great. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so this will be like identifying things for them to add to their summer to do lists, right? Like, okay, this you got killed in this, so try X, Y, and the EC drills, you know, like
0: just,
1: yeah. uh, uh, anyway, um, Joe said, I read on Twitter today. This was an Andy Bailey tweet. I saw this one too, Joe. I was going to put this up. The wizards have been outscored by 202 points when Jordan Poole is on the floor. That's the worst <laughs> pl- uh, raw plus minus in the league. This season I had a Jeremy. Sohan, who's you know, 40 some points different. Yeah. I mean, it's been tough. Like I, I, yeah, let's wait until he sucks the next game to talk more about how bad Jordan Bull's been. When the, we'll give us ourselves the night off When since he took the night
0: off. Yeah, I mean, this what happens when you get a guy who basically tanks the offense and the defense?
1: Uh, I tweeted this out tonight, and I actually got less crushed for it than I expected. I said, is Landry Shamit the best overall shooting guard on the roster? And, and honestly, I meant two-way by overall. Like, He's the best combination of offense and defense of the him, Kispert, Jordan Poole trio, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not great, but he's he's basically the only one of the two playing defense. So um, by virtue of that, I think you have to be the best two-way guy if you're the only one that guards anyone.
0: Yeah, I think it's one. I think you're probably correct. Uh, two, I would say the thing that surprised me about Shamit, he's a lot feistier than I thought. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, you see him getting the getting like the timeout where he got mm-hmm. in everybody's grill and was like, "No, like, They need it." Yeah, you know, was clapping at them. But that's that was in the Milwaukee game. I'm talking yeah. about. And um, you know, I, they ran that last play for him. I think that was really cool. But um, obviously, should have taken and, his
1: time a little bit more. I would have liked to just a uh, catch, take survey, then shoot. Uh, then uh, you know, but he has kind of a weird release too. So I I don't yeah it's almost like a high, like the shoot at the height of his jump, shoot a flat shot kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that, um, he's very likely to be uh, traded sooner rather than later. Um, I think it would be kind of silly to keep him around. I, I like him. I think he's sure. been fine. He's been as pretty much as advertised a uh, mm-hmm. little more dunking than I expected, but uh,
1: I did not know he could do that. I'll be very honest oh. with you.
0: And did you see, he tried to catch Capella. I think it was either Capella or Congo, yeah. I think Capella and it did not end yeah. well for him. No, it did not. But uh, it was, that's the feistiness that I was yeah. talking about. I mean, I, I like that about him. So
1: uh, host Gonzalez said contending teams love shame. It. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they're getting calls about him already. Yeah. I, I don't know how much they're going to get for him, but I don't know. I'll take a second round pick back at this point. Like he's not in your long-term plan. So, so why not? Uh, Let's see. Uh, Ryan S asked, what are your thoughts on our broadcast team? I thought they were okay last year, but to me, they're brutal this year. So uh, Kevin does not listen to the local broadcasts, uh, which is probably keeps him sane a lot of times. So uh,
0: real quick, the reason I don't listen to the broadcast is because I disagree with you completely, Ryan. (laughs) They were brutal last year. They were brutal the year before they were, Absolutely. I'd listened to in previous seasons, I've listened to a mix of the uh, opposing teams broadcast and the Wizards broadcast. And I felt it was really clear that the Wizards had the worst broadcast in the league by far, like the differential in their rebounding this season. So I just cut them off this season. I listen only, I live outside the market so I can uh, listen to whatever I want. Yeah. I'm really so, jealous. Anyway, of, you were saying, <laughs> no, I'm jealous
1: of that because I have league pass and I just wish I could watch the condensed Wizards games. Because especially this season, there are some times where I'll go play basketball and want to come back and watch the whole game later while I'm winding down after. And it's like, I already know they lost by 30. I would love to just watch the 40-minute version of the game instead of the two-and-a-half-hour one. But you can't get that until four days later or whatever, which is terrible. I might move just solely to do that. (laughs) uh, The broadcast together, I, I just think it's not serious enough for me and my personal tastes. You could have, you need a straight man. You know what I mean? And like, I don't think either of them do that. And so when you have a Chris Miller and Christy Winter Scott together, I thought they were really good because Christy is the straight person and she's sitting there and she's like, okay, on this play, Gafford should have done this. And Shamit came down to try to help make up for it. But you could see he gets beat here because he wasn't actually supposed to be doing that. And you're seeing like actual technical analysis of what went wrong on the play. And that does not happen very often when you hear Gooden and Miller together. But I, I still maintain that when Gooden was the third man in a booth with both Buckhantz and Chanier, I, I found him like a really pleasant addition to that. And he's a better broadcaster overall now with a couple seasons of work. But the type of analysis and coverage just isn't it for me. I, I know some people who actually really love them. I, I I like both of them individually. I loved Chris as the sideline reporter. I thought he was perfect at that. I just don't feel like it's been, um, I I don't think we learn anything particularly insightful from these broadcasts. And Hostway had in the chat here, Gooden isn't afraid to call out the teams at times. I, I agree with that. I actually think Gooden was been, been really good so far this season. I like, here's who screwed up. This guy screwed up but it's not why they screwed up and how they screwed up. He's just saying like, this guy did a bad thing. So I'd like personally the next kind of level down of insight. And I just don't think that that's really what they're catering to so far.
0: Yeah. uh, If you, if folks can, I I would highly recommend trying the Toronto uh, Mm -hmm. broadcast. Um, A few, this was when the wizards played them. Alvin Williams was the the color guy, the analyst. Mm -hmm. And he it was it was really fascinating to see him work. So first of all, watch the Toronto broadcast just because they do things technically at a different and much higher level than basically every team does in the NBA. Um, really, th- they have some really creative shots that they do, especially on free throws. They have these like blurry background, uh, you know, playing with focus kinds of things uh, mm-hmm. that are really just cool shots to watch. But mm-hmm. to Alvin Williams' analysis, he he was very clearly pro Toronto. He was rooting for the Raptors, right? Yeah, which I'm totally. He proud fo- of yeah, he was definitely focused on the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Every virtually every comment that he made was talking about things happening in the game and ways that the Raptors could win the game. And he also had no problem whatsoever with criticizing their effort, criticizing their decision making. Critic- i mean he criticized these players uh really intensely throughout the game and would then follow it up with well what they need to do is and it was like real analysis from a guy who was rooting for this team and it's um it was refreshing to hear because it doesn't have to be this like you know cheer cheerleading yuck fest right you can do real analysis even for a team that you're rooting for
1: and not offend half the fan base by saying they're all idiots by tanking and we'll, we should never tank. Mind you, the owner has now come out and said I should have tanked years ago. So I wonder if there's ever going to be a retraction from a certain play-by-play guy <laughs> for that. I'm just saying. Yeah, maybe. Uh, they would be at the top of my list of broadcast teams in the NBA I'd like to go have a beer with after a game. I think they're both two really good dudes. So there's yeah. something to be said for that. Uh, so yeah. I don't, I don't want to crush them too much, but it's just not for me personally. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, Kevin. Any other thoughts from this game? Any of the young guys you saw at the end here that did anything that you liked? Uh, Jared Butler had a couple little things here or there. I thought weren't terrible. Maybe there's some yeah. hope for him being like a fourth guard on a roster someday.
0: Um. Yeah. I don't really see that. I I've, I got to be honest. Um. Not really. I mean, I saw them. Amarui. I I like him. Just he plays, he plays hard. hard. Nice guy. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's any kind of answer for them on any rate. Um, you know, yeah, so no, I, nobody jumped out at me. Um, I, we talked earlier, you know, with Kulibaly kind of, he, I thought he was a little disappointing in that, uh, you know, garbage time stint yeah. where he just kind of jogged, got his calisthenics in, mm-hmm. uh, but not uh,
1: Ryan S asked thoughts on Kispert today. Meh. Mm-hmm.
0: I thought he was terrible. I mean, yeah. but a lot of it, Kispert is a make or miss guy because he right. really doesn't do anything else. And this season, he's he's gotten into uh, trying to attack closeouts more. And I got to say, yeah, I mean, a runner bank shot
1: off the backboard—that was fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: I my eyeballs when I watch it, I'm like I kind of cringe. And then I looked at the numbers, and actually, he's huh. he's, he's, he's pretty good. I mean, he's a good shot maker doesn't turn it over a ton, even when he gets uh, stuck inside. I just hate that play. And he's done fewer of them uh, where he drives into the middle and then he stops and just sort of pivots around. around and looks for somebody to pass. To. Literally
1: turns his back to the basket, bent over the ball, and um, just it kills me.
0: Yeah, I, I will say that he's one of the things he started to do instead of just looking for somebody to pass is now he'll get in there and then he'll pivot to shoot a fadeaway. Mm-hmm. Um and he's a great, good enough shooter that yeah, I'm cool with. Uh, that. He makes them. I mean, today obviously it was it was a brickfest, but yeah. he, Ordinarily he's a he's a very good shooter.
1: I, I just I just don't like that kind of player anymore. We've seen enough of that here, the one thing, the one trick pony. And to me, those are the guys you fill out the end of the bench with. Y- you don't draft them right outside the lottery. And, and and that was always sort of a fundamental issue with the draft philosophy. Like you and I talked about guys. We liked that basically it's everybody Memphis is drafted, but when you're taking that guy at 27, okay, great. Like if he turns into a serviceable role player, you've just won. Like you are now gaming the system and uh, you get, I don't know, Santi Aldama 30 or whatever he got taken. Like that's, that's great. Uh, he's a better player than the Wizards have taken, you know, than half their guys that have gone around the lottery. So to me, Kispert, if he's not hitting shots, uh, you know, either of these, uh, if he's not hitting shots, he does nothing else for you. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, Xavier Young, I hold mean, on. This, I'm coming back to your question, buddy. Just hold tight. I'm,
0: I was uh, just going to say that this is this is an opportunity for my uh, my point that I've made a billion times, my speech. The, the, yeah. you, you have to take the whole player. So the, yeah. the era of specialists is waning. Uh, Kispert, I think, with his skill set, exact skill set, would have been a much more valuable player 10, 12, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that with where the NBA is going, with especially with all the switching, with the way the teams hunt right. uh weak defenders, you need guys who can do a, a lot of different things. And then you cannot be a zero on defense. And yep. it, it not in when there are actual stakes at play. And Kispert is the kind of guy who's going to get hunted and get run off the floor. And I think the Wizards would be wise to go ahead and and be looking for another stop for him, not because he's like a bad player. I think he's a fine player, yeah. but it's just that he's a specialist and this is you have to take the whole player. You can't just take, well, he's a great shooter. We're going to bring him in for his shooting you, you, because then you, you get the defense, you get the lack of rebounding, you get the uh, everything else. That's just the way it goes.
1: I'm blanking on the dude's name and I liked him pre-draft. The little white kid for Milwaukee that's the shooter, AJ, is it AJ Green? Like
0: he, yeah, he's yeah. basically
1: just a shooting specialist, but they took they got him what undrafted, and he's a steal for a team like that. Even a Garrison Matthews, that's a great pickup because mm-hmm. you're getting 80% of what you get from Kispert without taking you're not paying him like the fifteenth overall pick along the way. And all of these guys I, I think are valuable players, especially on the rookie deal. I like Kispert up until the moment they have to pay him his next contract and he's going to command way more than I think you'll ever get return from just based on exactly what you just talked about. So
0: I, I think he's also a guy, it depends on like the, the, what team he goes to. Like if you sure. drop Kispert on Milwaukee or Phoenix yeah, or right. the Lakers or, you know, one of these teams like Boston, mm-hmm. for Christ's yeah. sake, he would just be devastating in Boston because yeah. that's a team that can hide his weaknesses. They mm-hmm. The ability to make shots, he, the, the great players are gonna gonna draw the defense. They're gonna create the gravity, and he's gonna get wide open looks. And so, that that's not going to happen in Washington because there's nobody to create the gravity.
1: Yep, totally agree. Uh, so it never makes no sense. Asked if they trade Chris at deadline, I think they'll consider everything they should. Blake asks, speaking of trades with Shamit, uh, what do we want to see the Wizards get? Anything they can get, literally anything at this point. I don't care what they add. If it's second round picks that they can package with other stuff to move up in next year's draft. Cool. Uh, I'm all for that. And then uh, Ryan S. asked, is uh, Jordan Hawkins that much better at everything else uh, besides shooting than Kispert to be considered valuable? No, honestly, he, he doesn't defend anybody at this point. He's really skinny. He doesn't really pass that well. Um, he's an elite movement shooter, so he has a lot of inherent gravity because you have to chase him around, and he's good from 28 feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's hope that he can transition into being more, I think, um, maybe, but but probably never is either, and that's why I had him at 20 on my board or whatever it was anyway. Like He'll provide value from day one as a shooter on a mm-hmm. team like that that needed spacing, but there's a limitation on what a guy can do if he's 135 pounds serving weight. Right. Uh all right. The one I wanted to get here before we ended. So circling back to two questions from Xavier Young. So what uh is Wes Unselled Jr.'s style of play? That's interesting. I think we talked about that a little bit. It's pretty conventionally similar to most um, other coaching staffs in the NBAs. But if any asks what type of player is an unselled player, and I think that's a really interesting one. And the one I'm less sure about because There are times where like Gafford, I think will play a very good defensive game and then he'll make one or two like obvious like screw ups and end up on the bench for five to 10 minutes straight. The other night, Denny got beat backdoor twice and got benched for the closing stretch of a game. It's like you punished Denny for being the worst, like the worst he's been defensively all season. And he was still probably one of the better defenders in that game, even having an off night. So like, w- what is a Wes Unseld junior player to you, Kevin?
0: Well, it's funny. I would or have said Marky would answer it. this,
1: but i i have no answer. Yeah, Mate is,
0: but been perfect. Yeah, uh, I think I'm not. You know what? Here's the thing. I don't know. I'm not sure that Unseld has ever had a player that would be yeah. his kind of player. Uh, this is the 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 thing is that they don't have talented players. Um. You know, like I said, I I joke Monty Morris because he's just kind of you know point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyus Jones is is a bit like that. Um, you know, I don't think that Unseld has really. Um, it's a great question because yeah. uh, I don't think he's really put a stamp on the team in that way, and he's certainly not on the roster construction in that way.
1: Uh, so thank you for the question, Xavier. Thanks for holding on and being patient there. Cause I thought that was a really good one because I was honestly, going to take a minute to think about it. <laughs> no um, maybe we'll find out just in time for them to fire him and move on to somebody else. Well, you uh, know, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> just to wrap us up here, Kevin, cause I don't want to keep you all night while you're writing up the, the postgame thoughts here. The well, I'm just played. entering
0: numbers at the moment, but yeah. okay,
1: Perfect. I can't wait to see what they result in. Uh, the Wizards are at the Pistons on Monday at 7 p.m. That's the battle for the top pick. And then they play the Magic Wednesday and the Magic Friday. The Magic are like really good and just want to take a victory lap for a minute because I called that shit. Uh, not that I'm special there, but I just really felt that this was a big leap year for them. But, you know, it's tough to play. It's tough for an NBA team to beat the same team twice in a row like that. So theoretically, eh, maybe you could still a game if they don't win this Monday game, it, it might be a very long time before they win a game here. Like this is a, uh, th- this so, is a, this is a big must win for them if they actually want to win a game right now.
0: Yeah. So, okay. I have the wizards, my prediction machine. I fired it up a few games ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, for those who are not familiar, it's basically a spreadsheet where I go through and list out uh, every, you know, I have the entire schedule and it predicts mm-hmm. the whole schedule and forecast. So it predicts the wizards win about 20 games this season yeah. and um so right now let's see they just lost their what eighth in a row yeah eighth um, in a row yeah this nine no this was number nine 30. so anyway they I have them as substantial underdogs tomorrow at Detroit I have about, with about a 35 percent chance their next chance where they're they are a favorite well <laughs> portland it was it was December 21st against Portland okay. but um they are now uh, it's basically a pick them it's a a coin flip game so um and but otherwise it's it's a really really long time before they'll be favored in the game again uh big part because they don't play san antonio until like mid mid to late january so this i mean it's a nine game losing strike streak right now this could very easily spiral into a much longer streak I I think they'll sneak
1: one in here somewhere where someone just totally takes a dump on them. But uh, yeah, to your point, who knows when that could be or will be. And uh, Detroit's floundering a little bit overall here. So I think if you want to get somebody, this is the time to go out and get them. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, They need to
0: get get, harvest their nuts as another wizard coach would say, I want to
1: ask you a question here again. I'm hoping you'll know the answer because I have no idea how they track this. So, I was talking with a buddy on the side here about, well, Kispert like field goal attempts against and things like that don't actually look that bad. So maybe he's a better defender than we all give him credit for. And there were a couple times in that Milwaukee game where he got absolutely dusted by one of the Milwaukee guards. Like Malik Beasley just drove by him. Like he was standing still and mm-hmm. shot a little floater over Gafford and made it or a little pull up or something like that mm-hmm. in a situation like that, where Corey was the primary defender and just gets burned. And then he actually shoots against Gafford. That's a field goal attempt against Gafford. Right. And does not count against Corey. Is that, I, I think that's how that works. Right?
0: Yeah, that's, that is how it works. The, the way that the league works, does it is the, their tracking is closest defender yeah. uh, when the shot goes up. So th- there are some other ways where I think that may show up in the numbers, like in, in terms of like their possessions, that, cause they have some weird formula where be, you'll see, you know, 16.71 possessions. I don't know what that means exactly um i will say that so i as i've told you before uh, you know i used to hand track wizards mm. defense for over the course of several seasons and i still do it now and then and i have compared that to the you know nba's tracking data okay. and what's interesting is that the overall numbers come out to be pretty similar mm. uh, but at the same time it's not it's not exact it's some of the divisions are a little different so I'm like, like i, I was sure well, in the way that I track versus the way that the system, the automated system tracks. So, okay. like in that instance, like you say, Kispert gives up penetration. Guy makes a shot over Gafford, and all basically all of that shot gets assigned to Gafford. Mm-hmm. Well, in my hand tracking, you the, the credit off. for that or the blame is split huh. between yeah. uh, Kispert because he was the primary defender and Gafford. Huh. Um, so,
1: yeah. Okay. No, that 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 helps because there are like I don't know. There are a couple games where I'm like they're hunting him. They're literally hunting him, but somehow at the end of the night, they're he's like teams went two of five. The team went two of five against him. And it's like wait, what? Yeah. Uh, right. So uh, that that's always been interesting to me. A um, couple stats here, and we'll just end the longest podcast ever of a 35 point blowout. Jared Butler 13 points tonight on five of eight shooting. This is the victory lap notes from the Wizards uh, PR team after. Um, Celebrating Gafford's two blocks, he's now recorded 10 multi-block games this season, and 10 is an all-capitalized, which uh, is tied for the most in the Eastern Conference with Miles Turner and Brooke Lopez, so way to go, Gafford. Um, Landry Shamet, 12 points, 5 of 9 shooting. He's now topped double-digit scoring in four occasions this season's off the bench, and he's connected on two plus three-pointers in seven total games off the bench this season. So, Landry Shamet, elite bench role player. And Anthony Gill netted a season high ten points on four of six shooting, also amassing three rebounds, one assist, and seventeen minutes off the bench. So Anthony okay. Gill, super sub.
0: I and lo- hold on, I just give give it up to the Wizards person yeah, who used to amassing, amassing, yeah, amassing cool. there. Yeah. That was great.
1: Amassing three total rebounds. Wow, wow, man, <laughs> how did they do that? Uh, and then Amarui, 10 points, 4-6 shooting, 3 rebounds, 1 assist, 1 steal in 12 minutes. He has now topped double-figure scoring in two whole games off the bench this season.
0: So Wow, wow.
1: Victory line. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, where can people find your work?
0: Uh, biggest place, Bolts Forever. You can also follow me on Twitter at SoWizards, and uh, you can follow my podcast, which is the hashtag SoWizardsPodcast. And uh, yeah. Plug this most recent episode,
1: by the way, which I... Candidly, I'm only halfway through because the whole Thanksgiving holiday has put me behind on all podcasts, but amazing so far.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. And so what I did is I got in touch with a coach that I've been following on on Twitter. Uh, And so it's a guy named Brian McCormick. And Brian has coached literally all over the world. Every level, it seems like. Yeah. It hasn't been to the NCAA. I mean, NBA, excuse Mm -hmm. me. But he has been an NCAA coach. He's coached overseas. He's coached men, women. Professionally, small towns, bigger towns. He's been an assistant coach, head coach, uh, and he's written several books. Uh, definitely check them out on Amazon. They're, they're, uh, it's it's interesting. It's like fake fundamentals and stuff. I mean, it's fun stuff. And so um, Brian has not watched a ton of Wizards, which I thought was actually kind of perfect because yeah. I wasn't asking him specifically to diagnose X's and O's. What I was asking was um, it was more of a basketball conversation trying to think through, like, how does a coach, how would an experienced coach approach a team, a project like what mm-hmm. we're seeing from the Wizards? And um, Brian w- gave some great answers, some really thought provoking stuff that really expanded how I think about coaching. And w- one of the things that really came through is um, how can I say this, that that coaching at the NBA level is a lot more negotiation and coercion than it is uh, barking orders, giving orders. It's not like for like high school where you just bench kids or you're not taskmaster things, right? You can bully them. You can't bully the players. You, you have to like work with them with where their goals are. And every person in the NBA is a grown adult person Mm -hmm. with their own agenda, with their own goals, with their own lifestyle, with their own, their own desires, with what they think, with their own opinions about who they are, what they are as players. And it's up to the coach to try to cobble all that together into a team. And, uh, uh, talking to Brian was really, really helpful. And it was actually really helpful in terms of thinking about Jordan Poole. For example, we spend a, what, probably a third of the episode mm-hmm. talking about Jordan Poole. And, uh, one of the best things that Brian said was this idea of there's like a it, two major ways to help somebody improve. And one is correct mistakes. And the other is to expand possibilities and what the wizards are. It's a fine line to walk, but, uh, with pool, because the wizards are hoping that maybe he can become a driver of a high level offense at some point in the future, they don't want to stifle the creativity, mm-hmm. at least not yet. Now, I think you're getting to a point where yeah, they're probably going to have to rein him back in, but
1: right. Your seventh of the way through the season. I think we've, we've got a sample size enough here or whatever. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: it's, it's really good stuff. I would uh, compel everybody to to go out and check that out because it, it really does just apply to any of your favorite teams. And and I thought the I don't know. I watch a lot of college basketball. So seeing the different, that's part of what I like about college basketball. Some of these guys are rah, rah motivators and then other ones are like bang fist on the table kind of guys. And in the NBA, you have to have a very specific personality to be successful. And, I, some of these guys are great assistants for that reason. And and I'm wondering if Mr. Unsell junior falls into that particular category.
0: Yeah. I, and we talked about, it. we did touch on that. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten to that part yet where, just, uh, you just, know, Michael Malone yeah. in yeah. Denver is, yeah. is he's willing to get in guys' faces. He's willing mm-hmm. to be confrontational. And that lets somebody like Wes Unsell be the, the nice guy yeah. and to be an more of conciliatory and saying, look, all he really means is you just have to do this, this, and this. And then, the player can do those things and get back in the coach's good graces. Well, you, you need somebody who's, who can be confrontational. And if that's not Wes, he needs somebody on his staff, on his team, on the team, whether it's a player to, to be that person. All of the above. It seems like whatever this is, doesn't seem to
1: work super well. All right, everybody that's been believing wizards. Kevin, thank you for doing this. Um, look forward to reading the write up tomorrow morning. Uh, folks rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, hit the little like button. If you're listening to this on the YouTube feed, if you're, uh, checking us out, you know, uh, on any other platform reviews are great too. So I appreciate you. We're brought to you by betonline.ag and we will catch y'all next time.